You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? You excited? You know, there's nothing more exciting than going to Fred Meyer and seeing all the school supplies out just ready for you. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm still like a kid, but that's still a little hard for me to walk in and go, school's starting back up. So... Uh, but we are ready. We are geared up. This is an exciting summer. We still have a few more weeks left, and we are in a series called Summer Letters. Have you been enjoying the Summer Letters series? For me, it's just been so much fun going through, and today we're, in the, we're going to do the entire book of 3 John. 3 John, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up or to click on it and get there, and one of the cool things about this is you can do a whole book in like one day. 3 John, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version today, 3 John, and today we're looking at what it means, John is diving into truth and support, and if you've been following along, you know that it seems like every week we're talking about truth, aren't we? It's almost like the Lord is trying to tell us something, focus on truth, focus on truth, and we're going to be diving more in that today, but let's look at, 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 this, at this book together. It says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Amen. Verse 5. Beloved, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner that's worthy of God. For they have gone out of their sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. And then he gives us some final greetings. He says, I had so much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. Everyone remember what pen and ink is? You know what that's about? Okay. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. And he says, peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Do you hear the heart of John in there? He's like, there's so much more I'd rather do, but instead of putting it to pen and ink or today, instead of just texting you or sending you an email, I just want to be with you. I just want to talk with you. I just want to get together with you. I love you so much. And this is the heart that John is coming through here today. So as we look at this short book in the Bible, three things that John's focusing on. Again, he's focusing on truth. Everyone say truth. 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 Then he's focusing on support, support, and testimony. Testimony. We're going to testify today. You guys ready? 
Let's dive into it. Let's, let's get going here. First of all, John, again, he's hitting truth. And as we mentioned earlier, John is continually, continually, he's mentioning truth. And when you look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll notice that in every instance, in every chapter, truth is mentioned. And even here in this book, truth is mentioned five times in this short little letter. See, we need to recognize today that building, everything that we build on, it begins with truth. Because we know that a building is only as good as its plans, right? You don't just go off, if you're wanting something built and someone just shows up and starts puts a bunch of materials together and just starts having at it, you're a little concerned because you're like, what is the plan? What are we doing here? And as it comes to the buildings that we're in today and the buildings that are around us, that's why we have building codes. Do you know what building codes do? Building codes, they make it safe for occupancy so that we can get in it, we can trust it and be there. How many are thankful for building codes? Now, I know some of you, when an inspector shows up, you get a little nervous, but you got to realize that building codes are important because if not, it'd be hard to be in a place with confidence, isn't it? I've been in some parts of the world where there's evidence that there's not really a whole lot of building codes, and you look at it, and you take each step with nervousness. You're like, this is the fourth floor, yeah. Has anybody inspected that? They're like, inspectors? Who are inspectors? What does that mean? When you walk in a building that you know that there's been a plan to it, it's been inspected, it gives you truth. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the wise builder in Matthew 7. Remember Jesus' words? He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise person who built their house upon the, no, the rock. Yeah, wise is the rock, okay? Wise is the rock. What is the rock? A rock is Jesus, the truth. When you're a wise person, you build it on the truth because then he says, when the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock, that foundation of Christ. But then he compares it and he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish person who built their house on the sand. sand. There you go. That's where the sand is. What is sand? Sand is always shifting, right? Now, I grew up playing volleyball, like, like on, on a hardcore gym surface, see? And I came to America, and I found out that I, I, I asked, I said, hey, where's the volleyball team? I actually played varsity high school volleyball in Canada. In Canada, volleyball is good for both men and women, but I came here, and they said, no, that's something that women play, you know? And I'm like, well, but your men's team just won the gold medal in the 88 Olympics. And they said, no, but we have sand volleyball, See, I was used to being on a hard court where when you push off, it's solid and it's there. So they took me to play sand volleyball for the first time, hearing that I was a varsity volleyball player, and I was terrible. Because every time I went, I went to push, I couldn't jump as high as I normally could. I couldn't push off. When I fell, it hurt. I got a sand burn. How many sand burn victims do we have out there, right? You fall down, you get all this sand on you. Sand is always shifting. Sand often represents the lies because you, you don't know what's true. You don't know what's there. There's nothing to push from. This is why truth is so important. And this is why truth is the mark of a follower of Christ. In John 8, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. We need the truth. See, discipleship is what Jesus talked about. And by discipleship, he meant that you come and you follow me. See, discipleship isn't just about knowing about God, and it, e- it even just isn't about agreeing with God. 
It's about following Jesus, following him, being a true disciples. Jesus said that those who do the will of the Father are my true disciples. And even for us, we are called to make disciples because we're not called just to be well-informed people, are we? We're not out just to accumulate this knowledge and be well-informed. That's a good starting place. It's good to be well-informed. It's good to study. I've studied a lot, and there are many in this room that have dedicated their life to study, and I applaud you. But discipleship is often the missing step. See, discipleship is where we take the things that God's told us, take the things that we've read in his word, and now we begin to put them into practice. And throughout scripture, there's that, consi- that continual reminder that we're called to be his disciples, to follow Christ, to do the will of the Father, and to make disciples. See, truth brings freedom in our life. But we need to apply it, and we need to use it. One of my professors in grad school said that truth that is not applied diminishes in value. Because if you don't use it, you will lose it. you got to use it or lose it, just like my volleyball skills. you got to use it or it will be gone. See, truth brings freedom. One of the biggest anxieties that we have in life revolves around purpose or direction. Where do I go? What should I do? Have you ever experienced that? You're like, I don't know where to go. This is what truth is meant to be. And sometimes we even have these identity things of, we have this sense of what we should do and where should we go, but we're like, can I really do it? Or am I good enough? Have you been there? This is why truth is so important. Because when the truth of Christ is in us, our identity is now with him. Our identity and our power and our strength comes from him. But we need to know the truth. We know that he is in us and that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, you'll even do greater things than me. But we need to have that truth alive. Alive in us. That's why John said in verse 3, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Is that your prayer as a parent or as an aunt or as a teacher? You want your children, your students, those that you love, you want them to be founded on truth because when they're walking in truth, it brings a lot of confidence in your life, doesn't it? You're like, yes, they can do it. They're headed the right way. The truth of God is in them. That's why it says in Proverbs 22, it says that we are to direct, to train a child onto the right path or in the way that they should go so when they're older, they will not leave it. That's my prayer for my kids. We prepare them to launch, but we want the truth to be in it so that as they go, the truth is in them. So truth is important. How many truth lovers we have at this morning? Okay, We need the truth. It needs to be in us. But then John, he moves from truth, and he says, now having this truth in us, we need to talk about support. We need to talk about support. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. For the truth. See, support is important. And support is actually, it's a sign of faithfulness. Because John says here, he says, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers. See, supporting is what we do as a follower of Christ. As a Christian, we support. 
we come in, 1 Timothy 5, 7, it says, Let the elders or the pastors who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and the teaching. The laborer deserves his wages. And so here, John, he's talking about to support the workers of the truth, and he calls them the brothers. Everyone say the brothers. Okay, that's not the others from Lost, but it's the brothers, okay? The brothers. These are the Christian workers, the itinerant missionaries. And this is so important because, especially in the early church, we see this emphasis that's centered around missionary outreach. See, without outreach, the church or the body of Christ does not survive. This is why Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, this is the great commandment. Jesus said to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And in Acts 2, we see that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Outreach was a very natural outflow because when the truth is in you, it's alive and it wants to come out. You want to share it with people. When you have something, you found something out that is so amazing, don't you want to tell people? Now, if we can do that with a coffee shop, I know some of you are waiting for my coffee reference. This is it. If you're waiting for, if you found a great coffee shop, you'd be posting it. You'd be, you, you'd be checking into that. You'd be putting that on Instagram, or you'd be telling people, man, the coffee's good over here. Or if you're a pancake person, the pancakes are amazing over here. Or if you're a waffle person, or whatever you are, when you find something amazing, we're very quick to post it and put it out there. How much more with the gospel? Something that will carry us through eternity for our our very soul. This is about sharing it. This is the lifeblood. This is why part of our focus, it needs to be on outreach because it is part of making disciples. Do you want to grow deeper in your faith? You want to go deeper in your walk with God? Try sharing with somebody. Does that scare anybody? Just sharing the gospel to people? Now, I know with some people, it's very comfortable, right? If, if you want to share the gospel with me, you should be very comfortable because I agree with you. But when you share the gospel, you share the love of Christ with someone that you know they don't know about it, or maybe even they're against it, or maybe they even disagree with you. Do you get a little nervous? Are you guys fearless? Or so? that's, that's awesome. We're no longer a slave to fear. <laughs> but sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Or you walk in the workplace and you're there. It's difficult. But let me challenge you this morning that as it comes to the gospel and it comes to sharing your, your faith, You put that challenge in front of you, and you watch how you start to grow in your faith, because what are you going to do? You're going to start thinking about what questions are they going to have, and you're going to begin to study it. You're going to start praying for them, saying, God, help me reach this person that I work with, or this person that I see in the store, or this person in my family that they may disagree with me, or I'm a little uncomfortable with them. And watch how you start getting on your knees in prayer and saying, God, help me. Studying the word, Lord, let this word be in me. Or maybe they ask you a tough question that you don't know. Do you know what your answer is to to a question that you don't know is? I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so again, if you don't know the answer, what do you say? I don't know. Should you make something up? No, because then you're a liar. That's sand. That's bad for volleyball, unless you're a really good volleyball player. Okay, but this is about coming in and growing in your faith. But if you don't know, say, you know what? I don't know. Why don't we study that together? Why don't we figure this out? Let's walk in this together and watch how you grow deeper, but watch how you invite people to the conversation. This is how we grow. This is how we grow, because we know from our James study that when we are not active in sharing, 
that faith without works is dead. This is where the faith rises up within us. And you don't have to rush it. You walk in it. You ask God. You flow in that. And even talking about outreach, here as a Shoreline Community Church family, that's all of us. Do you know that we currently support 57 missionaries and missions endeavors worldwide? 57 missionaries and mission endeavors worldwide. That includes, that includes 13 that are local outreach ministries and 44 that are global. That's amazing. But we can do more. We can do more as we partner together, as we step up in the support. See what God would do in us. And even sending people out. It is amazing. So as we dive into this, I think it's important for us to even know and to read what John is talking about. How do we support? Because I I think we all want to be pretty supportive people. But how do we support? Well, John outlines several things. First of all, he says we we, we support them first by receiving them. They become part of our family. We invite them in. When missionaries or whoever is involved in the gospel, they're showing up and they show up here, this should be a place of rest where we go, We love what you're doing. We support what you're doing. Come in, be a part of the family. Come to my house. I'm having a barbecue next week. I'd love to have you there. We invite them into friendship. Because doing the work of the Lord, that can be a very lonely place sometimes, can't it? It can be a very hard place sometimes. So as a body of Christ, we're called to welcome them and to receive them. But then John also says that we also need to do well in sending them. He says you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. We need to send them in a way that honors God and what we do. And when you look at that Greek word for sending there, this actually means to send someone forward and to fit them out with the requisites of the journey. So it's not just saying, au revoir, goodbye, good luck. We wouldn't send our kids out that way, would we? What do we do? We look at what do you need for that end game? What do you need for the journey? What does it take for you to do what God's called you to do? This is the requisites. It's the things that are necessary. This requires us to come in and to support them in a way that makes us partners with them. John says that you will become follow workers in the truth, that when we support them in this way, we become follow workers in the truth. We're together in this. Because, see, when you become partners with them, you actually begin to stand with them. You take a stand for them and say, you know what? You're standing for the gospel. You're out sharing the love of Christ. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to support him. I'm going to support her, and I'm going to be there, and I'm in the game with you. You may be going off to Turkey. You may be going downtown Seattle. Wherever it is that you go, I'm standing with you. I'm there with you. See, God is using all of us in various roles. This is the role of supporting. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians that he who plants and he who waters are one. You may be involved in planting, or you may be involved in following up and putting water on it, but you are one together because who gives the growth? God. God gives the growth, but he's calling us to partner. He's saying, get out there, plant the word, plant the truth. Get out there, water it, be around it, encourage that. Watch what I will do in that. This is our role as followers of Christ, supporting, engaging, being involved. What do you need? How can I help? How can I be there? But John also puts out a warning here, like in everything, and he puts out a warning against detractors. And the detractor in this case is diotrephes. Everyone say diotrephes. Or some say diotrephes. 
Diotrephes. He said, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to put and puts them out of the church, verses 9 through 10. See, every work of God has detractors, doesn't it? Have you ever been distracted? <laughs> every work of God has distractors. Jesus had distractors. Paul had detractors. And here John and Gaius, they have detractors. I have detractors. All God's people have detractors. I'm not talking about detractors like the big Tonka truck, right? I had one of those when I was five. See, detractors often come not from outside the church, the body of Christ, but here in this situation, John's pointing out that detractors often even come from within the church, within the church, part of us. Isn't that true? So how do you recognize a detractor? A detractor, and John is putting it out here, so a detractor, someone who is critical, someone who's a fault finder, a belittler, an accuser. One of the first things that John mentions is that there's someone that does not acknowledge authority. Someone who does not acknowledge authority. And he says here, and he finds the very root of it, he says that he likes himself first. It's all about me. What is that rooted in? Pride. Is pride tough for us? Yep. And even if you say, it's not tough for me, Pastor Duane, I am the humblest person in the world. <laughs> right? Pride is, pride is tough. He likes himself. But see, when we fail to acknowledge authority, we fail to acknowledge who's really in charge. And who's really in charge? God is the one who's really in charge. In Romans 13 and then Titus 2, we have this wonderful explanation that shows how God is in charge and that God is the one who places people in authority. But this is tough, isn't it? Now, why is it tough to honor those in authority? Because we've seen people who have abused authority, haven't we? We've followed people, we've been a part of things, whether it's organizationally or in a church or wherever it is, in school. There's someone placed in authority as a teacher. And there's an abuse of authority. You're like, God, what do I do with this? See, Jesus, he had this conversation with his disciples a lot. And the disciples were hoping that Jesus would come in and just, boom, just knock it all out. God's in charge. We're here. Go get them. Knock them down. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said things like, pay unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. That's a big gulf, isn't it? Right? Pay unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And he even said... In dealing with the Pharisees, he said, Do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. See, if anyone ever had a reason to come down and to knock at authority, it was Jesus. If anyone even had a reason to come down and not go to church, it was Jesus. He could have said, you know what? Yes, that's wrong. Don't go there. But what did he do? He came back to a trust in God. And this could be a whole sermon itself, and we don't have time for it today. It's a great conversation. It's a hard conversation. But we need to recognize in this that God is in charge. Romans 13, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. 
And then Hebrews 13, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I think like everything else, as we talk about truth, the other tough T word is the word trust. Now, he didn't say ignore it. He didn't say turn a blind eye to it. He didn't say ask questions and engage in questions. But when we walk in these ways of authority, we need to recognize that God is in control no matter what we see. And that becomes very difficult. Now, when you agree with what's going on, it's very easy. Man, God's in control. Everything happening, I agree with. But when these tough things come up, these are times that we turn to God and say, God, I don't agree with what's going on. You, you, you ever been there? Hopefully not right now, okay? But <laughs> if you've ever been there, you need to say, God, how do we do this? How do we walk through it? How do we walk this out in a way that is righteous? Because it's not just knowledge, is it? It's how we do things. Can we walk in disagreements in a way that honors God? Because what is God after? God is after reconciliation. God is after bringing everyone to him. And when we model that as a church, as the body of Christ, we shine like the stars. When we walk it righteously. Because the reality is everyone in authority, even the position that I'm in as pastor, I will one day have to give an account. And even now as we, as we walk it out, things that I say, whatever I do, I'm accountable to all of you. I always say that, you know, the bigger the disagreement you have, the bigger cup of coffee you should bring with you. But isn't that how we operate? As friends, as people, we have a conversation. It's a loving relationship. It's a relationship that we walk through. And there are people that have done that. They've said, hey, I have a question about that. Let's talk about it. And we've gotten together. And we've had wonderful conversations. But we talk to each other about it. Because there's also a weight that comes with responsibility. But in this, the main thing that I would have you walk away with today as it relates to this issue is we need to recognize that God is in charge. God is in charge. And since he's in charge, when you walk through those tough issues... The first thing that you should do, here's, here's what I do. When I have a problem, I go to God and say, God, what, what would you have me do? What would my response be? How can I walk this out? And I often pray the prayer of David where I'll say, Lord, before I walk in this, I want you to point out, is there anything in me that offends you? Is there a problem here? Is my vision off? Am I seeing this wrong? Speak to me. So that then when I go and I have these conversations... It's a lot clearer, isn't it? But that's hard. That's difficult. And that's another sermon. (laughs) That's another sermon. But see, in a world where we hear so much about the abuse, it's the abuse of authority that's newsworthy. All the people that are acting righteously and walking right before God and doing things right, they don't make the news. All the men and women that I've served who have faithfully loved God and who have walked in a way that is righteous before him, they've never been on the news. They've never been on the paper. They've never been out in front. We need to be careful that we do not let the abuse 
negate the intent and design of God as it relates to authority and walk together righteously. Are you with me this morning? We walk in it. My life is open to you, but we walk righteously in this. Because, see, our treatment of authority and our leaders, it reveals who we are and who we trust. So we need to walk it out. We need to walk it out. Moving on, John says that a detractor, not only is it someone that does not acknowledge authority, but a detractor does not welcome those who are engaged in ministry and that they even block and actually stand in the way of supporting people. Now remember, it's all about him. It's all about where he is. So someone comes in, they even actually block, which just shows a big lack of love and a lack of graciousness when our life should be filled with grace and mercy. Do you know those people in your life? So good. You need those people in your life. That's who we're called to be. And then John goes on to say that they're even someone who talks wicked nonsense, wicked nonsense against us. They bring up idle and false accusations. They're people that they express contempt. There's this willful disregard for the important manners, the disrespect, the ridicule, the mockery, the snickering. These are detractors from the Word of God. These are detractors from the work of God to how it would move forward and what God would have you do. You know, as I was going through this, I I heard my dad's words. Just going through my heart and going through my mind, my father. One of his favorite verses was found in in, in Philippians 2.14. Philippians 2.14, it says, To do all things without grumbling or disputing. No complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You want to shine as light in the world? You walk through encouraging people, looking for things that you can help people in, doing all things like complaining and murmuring, going, God, you're in control, you're in charge. Show me how to walk this out. Show me how to go through in a way that's not complaining. And you watch how God will use you. I've seen this time and time again. Not only that, have you ever found that the more you complain, the more that you bicker, the more that you do that, the worse that you feel, the more tired you get and it wears you down? God has called us to walk through a life filled with trust, a life filled with truth, knowing who he is and saying, God, what would you have me do? How can I go about supporting what you're doing? How can my plan be your plan? Or better yet, how can your plan become my plan? I want to align with what you're doing. Amen? Amen. And it comes by coming in and saying, God, I support what you're doing. I want to stand. I want to be a part of this. See, support is so important especially as it translates out, because how we support and what we do, it affects our testimony. Everyone say testimony. 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 It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil hasn't even seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. See, our testimony begins with being imitators of good. See, whatever we worship is what we become. And we were made to worship. And it says be imitators of good. That makes our minds go back to Mark where it says there's only one who is good. Who's that? God. God is the only one who is good. We're called to be imitators of God in all that we do. 
See, everyone was made to worship something. You were made to be a worshiper. Did you know that? So if I were to say, man, how many worshipers in a place? Every hand should go up because you were made to worship something. The challenge is when we don't worship God, we become worshiping other things. And we may not call them out as an idol, but there's a lot of idols around us. And there always have been. That's why God tells us and instructs us that we are only to worship God. Him alone should we serve. In Psalms 15, it even gives this warning where the whole chapter, it talks about this idol that was made. How it was crafted. And then it ends that in, in verse 8 by saying, Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Whatever you look at, you become. You are what you eat. What you read, what you listen to, all these things, they have an effect on us, don't they? That's why often throughout the year, I'll just head into a time of fasting. We fast because we're following Jesus, and a fast is just, it's a cutoff from everything. And there are times when I'll, I'll do a fast from food, but there's times I'll, I'll just fast all media, or I'll fast other things because I just, I, I just got, God, get this out. And sometimes I'll go out of a fast and I won't go back to it because I've found that it actually has affected my thinking or it's clouded or it's gotten away. See, we're called to be imitators of God because this is our testimony. This becomes our testimony. And that word testimony there in the Greek, it means to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that one knows it because it was taught by divine revelation or inspiration. See, your testimony, it comes from what you imitate, and this is what you are known for. And as it relates to God, God wants a close one-on-one relationship, doesn't he? God doesn't want us just to know about him. And Richard Blackaby even says that if you are content just to know about God, or if all you have is this knowing about God, you will leave unsatisfied. He says just knowing about God will leave you unsatisfied. Truly knowing God only comes through experience as he reveals himself to you through his word and as you relate to him. God is alive. When we surrender our life to him, his spirit fills us. His Holy Spirit seals our heart to know that we are his. See, I don't just know that I'm married. I didn't just sign that document or say I do and then walk away and go, yeah, I know I'm married. I got to experience marriage. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm the ugly. I got to experience it, a relationship. And what, what, what happens? It grows, it develops, it gets strong. I was telling somebody before I came, came in today that I am a better person than I was before because you strengthen each other as you're serving the Lord. It's like how we, our walk with God. And that's why even in that relationship, we're described as his bride. It's that relationship. It's knowing him. It's experiencing him. It's knowing his, his voice, the Holy Spirit alive in us, guiding us. I dare not move without the Lord. I dare not step forward without God. I need his strength, his power in us. That's why we do things like youth camp and children's camp. Why? It's an opportunity to get away from everything. And to say, God, what would you speak to me? What would you say to me? All the distractions are removed. 
My times away at youth camp, my times away at youth retreat were areas that marked my life because there were times when I shut off all the other influences. I wasn't traveling for the basketball team. I wasn't walking through and, and just getting in trouble with my friends, but I was away with God and God was speaking to me and I was there and I experienced God in the fullness. Speaking to me, coming alive in me. Saying, Dwayne, do you want to hear my voice? Do you want to walk with me in a closer relationship? It is a real vital relationship. This is how we were made. And this is our testimony. See, there's a lot of power in a good testimony. And John here alludes to it. And in Revelation 12, it says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Because it's real. I don't just know about it. I walk it through with, with my family, and they know what dad has experienced. They see what dad has experienced. And they see that even when dad goes through a hard time, or when dad makes mistakes, he goes back to God, and he stands before God, and he experiences his love. He experiences, now I know it. Don't misunderstand me. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to be reading and be good stewards to have it in us. But it's not just knowledge. It is experience in the Lord alive in us. It's a living relationship. It's a living relationship, and it's both. That's why God gave us the word. It's both. This is our testimony. Proverbs 22, another one of my dad's favorite verses. I think every verse is my dad's favorite, but this is another one of his. <laughs> He's, dad would say this all the time. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver gold. You heard that one before? It's your name. It's who you are. It's your testimony. What are you doing out there? A good name is better than all that. Don't be chasing riches. Be chasing God because a good name is worth more than all of that. It's your testimony. It's your testimony. So today as we've gone through, we've looked again at, at the truth, the importance of the truth. And then the power and our responsibility to come in and to support the work of God. Support the work of God. And all of that comes down to the power of our testimony. Alive in us. Don't let anyone push you off course from that. Don't let anyone push you off course. That's why John ends it with, man, I, I could keep going on with this ink and pen. I could tweet it. I could text you. I could email you. But I just want to be with you. Why? I want to experience our friendship. I want to experience our life in Christ. That's why we're here today. You can experience God off in the woods, and I've done that. But we can never neglect coming together because we need encouragement. We need to be hearing the voice of God together. We need to be experiencing His power and His presence in us. Saying, God, what would you have us do as a community of believers here today? As we head into this time of, of, of response today, I'm a question asker. <laughs> One of the greatest things that I've done in my life with God is to ask God questions. Does God love questions? He loves questions. And he asks questions back of us. But as you've thought about this today, I want you to ask yourself, am I a disciple or am I just well-informed? Am I a disciple of Christ walking with him, looking to disciple others, 
Or am I just filled with knowledge? These aren't questions of condemnation. These are questions of encouragement. But Jesus has called us to be his disciples. I think another important question is, how do I deal with authority? Is authority a tough thing for me? Is authority tough? And the follow-up to that is say, God, what would you have me do? How am I to walk in a way that honors you? In some situations, it's very easy, very straightforward. But in other situations, it's a process of discovery, isn't it? But we need to know it. We need to deal with it and say, God, what would you have me do? How can I walk this out? that may be involved talking to someone who you trust and say, how, how can I walk this out in a way that honors God? Not gossiping, not backbiting, not being a detractor, but someone that you trust. And say, God, how, how would you have me walk this out? What is my testimony? Lord, let's do a health check today. <laughs> let's do a health check. Speak to me. Where are you looking to refine? See, when we give our lives to Christ and submit it and surrender, the Lord comes in and we are redeemed. Amen. But there's a process of growth then, isn't there? There's a process of growth where God takes us, he refines us, he builds us, he strengthens us step by step, day by day. Amen. As we walk out this today, a great way to begin that walk because it's good to have these concrete things that the Lord gave us. One is communion, the Lord's table. This is self-serve. If you're a follower of Christ, I invite you, as the worship team leads us in this final song, to come up and just take the bread and the cup. Or go to the prayer wall. Or go to our prayer team members. Our prayer team members, even now, they're going to begin to move. Go pray with somebody. Or turn to the person next to you and say, boy, would you pray with me about this? Or can we get together this week and talk about this? Amen. Can we all stand together today? Lord, we've now, we've looked at your word. We've turned our face to you. Speak to us, Lord. Your servant is listening. We want to know you, oh God. Show us how to respond. Speak to our hearts. That we could walk as shining lights to our friends, our family, our workplace, our community. Do your work in us, your humble servants, your disciples, I pray. In your name, Lord, amen. A moment to respond.